Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 46. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we apologize out of the gate for the sound quality of uh, this week's episode. And we're sorry that we didn't bring one to you last week. However, um, it's all kind of one and the same in regards to the reason why we didn't have a show last week and why the sound quality is not really up to par this week. So if you decided that this week was going to be the week that you started listening to Monoreal Radio and watch this week will be the week that we got the explosion that we've been waiting for. We apologize for the sound quality on this podcast. Uh, for those who don't follow us on social media, and you should, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Monoreal Radio, um, you will notice that um, we are sort of displaced right now. Uh, um, Not sort of. We're really displaced. We're very much displaced right now. Um, we had some horrific storms blow through Long Island last weekend. They'll tell you it's a microburst, but I've seen photographs, and I've been in a tornado before. I can tell you this was not a microburst. This was a tornado. No, there there were pictures that our friends posted. There was funnelage. Yeah. So we're just going to say a tornado hit us. Uh, um, and the other thing that hit us was a tree. Yes, a tree... <laughs> A tree. What else are we gonna do? I'm well, yeah, about it. A, a tree hit the house. Um, right outside of our studio window. Yeah, like we almost lost the studio. So right now, um, we are sort of splitting time between my parents' house and Jackie's parents' house. And actually, right now, we're sitting in the dining room of my parents' house, sitting in the same chairs that I sat in when I was a kid eating macaroni and cheese and now i'm drinking a beer because it's just what we have to do at this point yeah normally we behave ourselves we usually like to record in the morning with a nice cup of coffee but uh it's been a week so this week's episode is brought to you by the champagne of beers yes we don't know we don't know when we're going back home we don't know <laughs> when we're getting back into the studio so apologies it's my little handy sony handheld recorder that we have to do the show on this week but you know what this is a good test because we were considering bringing this to the park so if it's good we might do a couple of shows when we're down there in november yeah and or or next week because if we're not in the house <laughs> i'm booking a flight away. <laughs> well anyway um please excuse our bumbling and stumbling <laughs> as we kind of try to get through this one um Big opening this past weekend of the 4th of July weekend, Spider-Man Far From Home. We have not seen it yet. We're actually looking to go this week. So if we do, um, or, or if not this week, probably by next week. Again, we don't really know what's going on right now because we're... <laughs> no, I will say one good thing that came... Well, I'm just trying to look on the bright side. Because we couldn't actually, like, watch TV in our own home, we actually, we left the dog with my parents, and we got to see Toy Story 4, so we finally caught up with that. We did a monoreal in a minute review, so you can find that on our Instagram story. It's in one of the highlights. Um, so we at least caught up with that. We were going to do this Spider-Man review as a lead-in to Spider-Man Homecoming. Obviously, that didn't happen, so we're, we're delivering it now. But it's still a review for us because we've not seen Homecoming yet. Right. So, uh, hopefully, in the next couple of days, 
Certainly within the next week, you can look forward to a monoreal in a minute, our review of Spider-Man Homecoming. So we apologize. We didn't get to do a lead-in to our, uh, sorry, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, I should say. Monoreal in a minute will be out for that. This is the review for Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, we open amongst the destruction from the Avengers. It's the destruction from the first film. The government has taken the salvage efforts away from Adrian Toomes, um, who ends up being a very, very big player in this film, played by Michael Keaton. Again, the the wonderful Michael Keaton. We, we, we gushed on, on him when we did the Toy Story 3 review. You guys know how I feel about Michael Keaton. Well, it turns out that Tony Stark is taking charge of that salvage effort, but Toombs keeps some of the alien materials and he weaponizes it. Well, the reason being is because he went out and got this government contract and he bought trucks and he hired staff that he couldn't otherwise do because he thought he was having this big money deal coming his way. And now, of course, losing the contract means you're out a ton of money, but you're stuck having to pay these people and you're stuck having to pay for this equipment. So he weaponizes the alien materials. Um, Happy then flies Peter Parker to Berlin, and this now sets up the events of Captain America Civil War. Uh, Tony tells Peter that someone will call him if he's needed again for another mission. While he waits for the next mission, he goes to school and fights petty crimes. During a bank heist, he sees the advanced weapons that Toombs was developing. Of course, he doesn't know that it's Toombs developing it. He just sees this advanced weaponry for the first time. Peter returns home, and his best friend Ned sees him in his Spider-Man outfit and promises he's going to keep the secret. When they find out that Peter's crush, Liz, has a crush on Spider-Man, Ned, uh, Ned tells Liz that Peter knows Spider-Man. Um, and Peter is talked into, quote-unquote, inviting Spider-Man to Liz's party that night. But after seeing a blue energy field in the distance while he's getting ready to drop into the party, he blows the party off to check out this blue energy and sees that it's an arms dealer trying to sell the alien weapons. Um, but while he tries to stop the crime, he is intercepted by the vulture. Um, before ultimately being rescued by Tony Stark, who tells him that he wants him to remain a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and not to get in over his head. Peter and Ned track the arms dealers to Maryland, so Peter goes on a school trip with his academic uh, decathlon team to Washington, D.C., so that he can be closer to the action. Ned and Peter also disable his Spider-Suit's tracking system and take it out of training wheels mode. The, the, and I'm just going to say right now, the names for some of the modes that, that Tony Stark had put into the suit that he developed for Peter are absolutely fantastic. Oh, it's one of my favorite things about this. So after pursuing the vulture, Peter ends up trapped in a truck and winds up in a storage facility where he hones the skills of said suit. Um, Peter misses the decathlon, but his, his team wins regardless. Um, but Ned is carrying a piece of the power core that, I had, that they had gotten. Um, and while he's carrying it around, um, it starts to weaponize itself as a grenade. And while that happens, his friends, in, you know, people from his team and one of his teachers, become trapped in an elevator at the Washington Monument. 
Peter, as Spider-Man, arrives and saves the day, Peter realizes that the dealers are stealing materials from Stark's damage control to make these weapons. Peter then intercepts a deal on the Staten Island Ferry, but chaos ensues, resulting in the ferry being cut in half, but Peter, along with Iron Man, save the day. Stark voices his disappointment in Peter and makes him turn in his Spider-Man suit. Peter gets uh, gets adjusted to normal life and takes Liz to homecoming when he meets Adrian Toomes, who he immediately recognizes as the Vulture. And after a few minutes of being in the car and conversation, and Peter is very awkward while this is happening, Toomes realizes that Peter is, in fact, Spider-Man. Um, so when this happens... Toomes sends Liz out of the car and says, I'm going to give Peter the old dad talk and gives him one of these. If she doesn't know, that's good. I'll let you go, but don't ever interfere in my business again. If you do, I'll kill you and everybody that you love in one of the most powerful scenes in this movie, by the way. Um, So after they get dropped off at the homecoming, Peter attempts to stop Toomes from hijacking a plane, transporting materials from Stark Tower to the new Avengers headquarters in upstate New York. After a battle, the plane crashes and Toomes fights Peter, and it looks like he's going to win. Peter is trapped under rubble from a warehouse, but he eventually is able to get himself out of that predicament, and they continue to fight. While flying away with one of the containers that is holding this alien material, it explodes, nearly killing Tombs, who is saved by Peter. Uh, Peter then saves the day. Happy grabs Peter and brings him to the Avengers headquarters, where he's offered a job for all intents and purposes as a new Avenger. Um, But Peter rejects the opportunity um, and says that he would rather go home and be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And of course, Peter thinks the whole time that it's a test, not knowing there's a real press conference that's about to happen, introducing him as the newest Avenger. So when he walks away, Pepper Potts comes out and says, where's the kid? Did you screw it up? So then Tony Uh, gives Pepper the engagement ring that apparently Happy's been carrying in his pocket for eight years, and he says, this is what the press conference is going to be about. And then Peter gets back home, and Aunt May discovers, in the most comedic way possible, that Peter Parker is, in fact, the Spider-Man that she has seen on television. Um, All right, so... In short, that's the plot of this film. There's a lot going on in this movie, actually. Yeah, there is. A lot of... uh, I mean, it's a complete departure from every Spider-Man that we've known. Um, But I, I love how it fits in the context of the Marvel Universe. I think they did a great job... Um... Just even from the jump, starting it off with, like, you know, introducing this sort of passing of the torch from Tony Stark to Spider-Man. Not obviously that Spider-Man was ever to replace Iron Man, but it really does set up the idea of Tony taking him under his wing. And obviously now that we've seen avengers play out all the way to the end which by the way if you haven't seen endgame you might not want to listen to the rest of this review Uh, let me just throw that out there now yeah let me just throw that out there now if you haven't seen it you might want to just skip this one because really this is where the seeds were all planted yeah you know and it's 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 crazy because 
you know, I've seen, we've seen all of the Marvel films, but it, it wasn't until we started going back and really re-watching specifically Civil War, Age of Ultron, right. Spider-Man Homecoming, that they planted so much for Endgame. It's not even funny. No, and uh, you had said from the jump you really thought that Iron Man's story was told and it was ended and there was no nowhere else that it could go. But, like, right. really, it, it was kind of obvious that they were going to take Tony out just from here and the way that they kind of set everything up. But, um, yeah, just just from the go, I I love the setup starting with the cleanup effort from the Avengers because yeah. I think that was so realistic. And maybe it's a little bit different for us because we've lived on Long Island our whole entire lives and we saw, obviously, 9-11 happen. And, I mean, obviously it was traumatic, but, you know, there was really a sense of community that formed in New York to start rebuilding but the cleanup effort it took, took years. forever I mean, it took years and and you did have a lot of companies that were getting government contracts to haul away exactly so that kind of i think hit a little close to home for me not not in a way that made me like sad to watch it or uncomfortable with it or anything but i just thought it was kind of a smart choice because you know in the avengers they tear New York apart, and, you know, the Hulk is smashing stuff, and Iron Man's flying around, and Thor's hitting stuff with his hammer, and it looks so cool, but, like, I like that they really did bring it into reality, because what happens after? Now we kind of got to see it, and the way that they established the villain from this, that was pretty brilliant. It was an excellent motivator to set him up as a villain, to set Tombs up as a villain, because at the end of the day... You know, cash is king, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not... See, that's that's the brilliance of this as well. At the end of the day, Toombs is not a terrible person so much as he's doing a terrible thing for his family. But he is a very... But he's still a bad guy. And he's still an excellent villain. Right, because it's not like some of the guys on his team where they were looking at the alien junk as they've deemed it and they're just trying to make something out of it that they plan to sell. This was, his immediate concern was, I bought trucks for this, I bought special equipment, I hired a whole bunch of guys, and then this task force team who you think is the government comes in and takes it away. Then you come to find out it's Stark behind it the entire time, which I love because, I mean, the Avengers should be handling this. They've handled everything else. You shouldn't be letting pieces of this alien junk be floating away. And I think, you know, that's why they wanted to oversee it. It probably, I would like to think it has nothing to do with the money for Tony Stark, but it really does establish this family man who just cares about what he's about providing for his family. And that's really what it comes down to. The only thing I will say, I wish we had seen that develop a little bit more because they set it up for tombs in the beginning where he's like, well, what am I going to do? I just put all this effort into this project, but I feel like he goes from worried guy who's now unemployed to villain. And it's like zero to 60. And I would have liked to see 
I, I would have liked to see that develop just a little bit more about why he's making, why he is doing bad things and how it, how it takes that turn and see his downfall a little bit where he really does get greedy as far as, you know, making this a prop a profitable entity for himself. You know, I, I think that if this film has for me, if there's one criticism I have of this film, it's that I think the pacing is very jagged. I think that if you haven't seen one of the other Marvel films and more specifically, if you haven't seen another Spider-Man movie, I think that this film is confusing and moves way too fast. Right, because the next thing you know, they're picking Peter Parker up and he's in Berlin. We know what happened right. from Civil War, but they just kind of hit on it as a, as a throwaway line. What I will say, though, about it being kind of jumpy in the beginning, I bow down that Marvel did not make us relive the spider bite oh my and God. Uncle Ben's death. Again. I, it's the first note yeah. that I have. Yeah. It's the first note that I have. In spite of the fact that it is a little jagged, I'm I don't happy. care. I I'm don't happy. See it again. This is it's like, like Bruce. And yes, it's yes. like watching. It's like watching Thomas and Martha yes. Wayne get yes. shot again by the Joker in every iteration of Batman. Yeah, it's. I, I, I'm glad that they just eliminated that altogether. Right. And I think it also plays into one of my other favorite changes about this. I love that that they didn't make Aunt May this, like, elderly, frail old lady. And, you know, she's this smoke show who's completely unaware of how hot she is. Right. It's hysterical. And it's Marissa Tomei. It, so, so she is a smoke show. Perfect. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and what, but what I like about it is, other than the fact that I like Marissa Tomei, I just think she's very funny. I think she's very talented. She's great. Um, I think she does. What I really like is that they got Aunt May right in that... They got the age right. Because remember something, Spider-Man is supposed to be 15, 16 years old, but in the first Spider-Man film with Tobey Maguire, um, which, to be honest with you, it's one of the better Spider-Man movies. It is a very good Spider-Man Just movie. the first one. The ones that, Everything that happened after the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie really sort of kamikaze the franchise. I loved Al Molina as Dr. Ock. Yeah. But but it was just, yeah. it was all of the other things that they did that really destroyed what, what should have been a fantastic franchise. And Toby wasn't bad. I actually liked Toby Maguire's No, I even liked Franco in that. But yeah, probably Alfred Molina was my favorite thing about it. But... But, but she was so old. And then when you did the Garfield um, remake, it was Sally Field, I think, right? Didn't Sally Field play Aunt May? I think so. I don't, right, God, I don't even remember. But she's she's in her seventies. Yeah. Like the thing, a sixteen-year-old. I'm not going to say no sixteen-year-old has an elderly aunt and uncle, but the fact that they're in their seventies in the first film, they almost look like they're in their eighties. You've already got an actor in Tobey Maguire who you know is well over the age of fifteen or sixteen years old, but he's trying to play the part because you age the aunt and uncle so much, it, it sort of does pull you out of it. It makes it far less believable. I think that they nailed the age range for Aunt May. Yeah, because it almost seems like in the other two friend or the other two iterations of Spider-Man, uh, that it, it, it's like Toby goes to his 
or Toby, uh, Peter Parker goes to like his last living relatives to right. stay. Like he's going to be orphaned otherwise, and this is the last resort. This, I think, starts making this movie. It definitely modernizes it, but it makes it feel a lot more realistic. I agree. And like I said, I'm just glad we didn't have to see the spider bite again. Right. And you you mentioned how Marissa Tomei is the clueless smoke show. She doesn't realize it. But I I love the relationship that she has with Peter. You don't see a ton of it. Mm. But what you do see is very believable. It's clearly, she's sort of clueless in a lot of facets of life but she's trying her best yeah you know she's she's in over her head raising a child that isn't hers she's a single mother Mm -hmm. and you can you can tell that she's just trying to hold it all together and she probably wasn't prepared for any of this but she's doing her best right and she's also kind of towing the line between being a really strict disciplinarian because she wants to keep him safe and also being the cool aunt Whereas when you had an older Aunt May, it's just like, please respect the kindly old lady. Yeah. It's almost like it's the grandmother more than it is Yes, and that's where I like the relationship even more between Peter and Aunt May because it's it's like he does respect her so much and he he, he even says it at one point. He's like, she's been through enough. He he doesn't want to let her down ever. Right. He's very conscientious of of the decisions that he makes, but he's still sort of immature in many ways. And I like that he's tr- he's really trying to find himself because he um he he's not he's not very comfortable in his own skin. And that right. was a big criticism I had of the Garfield um Spider-Man films. I didn't like how Andrew Garfield played Spider-Man. I thought that he was too sarcastic. I thought he was too mean. Almost angry. I didn't buy him as Peter Parker. Because Peter Parker is supposed to be a dweeb. He's supposed to be a loser. For all intents and purposes and for a lack of better term. And Andrew Garfield... Andrew Garfield's a good looking guy. I I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that says that he isn't. So when... You you have that, you look at him and say, it's sort of hard to believe that he wouldn't be at least somewhat popular in high school. Yes. The same can be said about Tom Holland, but Holland played him a little pipsqueaky. And Andrew Garfield played him more like he was already too cool for school before he got bit by the spider. Yeah, that that definitely didn't work with the Andrew Garfield one. But I like here that... Tom Holland was able to achieve the pipsqueak thing, but without having to go... And I I mean, it's partly Tom Holland the way he played him, partly the way it was written. I like that there wasn't this big call to action anymore. Again, part of that is eliminating seeing the spider bite play out, but it was more about him just being impatient because obviously he still has to learn everything because he really doesn't know the ins and outs of his suit and he's jumping in, you know, it's like baptism by fire. He, he doesn't want to wait and, you know, really hone his craft. That's what he realizes at the end of the movie when he decides to take a step back. But, um, I kind of like that it was more of, of of just a patience thing about him wanting to join the ranks of the Avengers versus it being a call to action and him having to 
learn everything by himself, figure out what his powers are, coming to terms with that he has powers, then getting into the science of it and, like, really figuring it out on his own versus this... You know, it was more of like a, ah, I got this. I got the suit. I'm good. Let's go. Right. And um, it, just the eagerness to, to join the Avengers. Like, it, it was perfect. In a weird way, it's kind of a coming-of-age movie. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's about him advancing in his life in terms of growing up into the man that he's going to be and sort of finding himself but also finding himself as Spider-Man. And there's a good juxtaposition between the two. And I felt that at times, even though it was juxtaposed, there were times where they were sort of working hand in hand. And I thought that it made for just a really good story. The story within itself is a lot of fun. I think this is a fun superhero movie. I think this is a fun Spider-Man movie. Um, but I just feel like there's a lot more meat to this. And and that's before Endgame even came out. After you've seen Endgame, after we know that Tony has passed away, and that there is sort of that passing of the torch, and knowing how almost paternal mm. Tony was to Peter, um, it, it, Endgame makes this movie much better. But I think it stands on its own, as being a strong film in terms of its screenwriting anyway. To circle back to what you said about the coming-of-age thing, I think that um, with, with Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, it, it's definitely not coming-of-age, because the, the whole, you know, it's like the tagline of that film is, with great power comes great responsibility. And for him, it's more a movie of man versus himself. And making those tough decisions which you know sometimes he's got like a moral obligation to make whereas with this one it, it is still about relationships because Peter Parker is doing things that are going to affect not just his neighborhood but like his own day to day and the people that he actually cares about right but it's weird. It's more coming of age than it is moral ambiguity. Yeah. Which is funny because he is placed in a situation that is going to affect himself. I mean, well, that's not true because in, to in Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, there is the whole thing with Mary Jane. So, I mean, yeah, it would affect his personal relationships. But this one... It just it, it just did a better job of it, I think. I think that th they finally got Spider-Man right. Because there were things about the Tobey Maguire... The first film, like I said, was very good. Mm -hmm. But even, like, I think... Was it the first or the second one? I think it was the first one. Where after a few days, like, he was literally strutting down the block and all of a sudden he thought who he was. And he woke up after the first morning and remember he was all jacked up. Yeah, yeah, And it yeah, was yeah. kind of in, like, a Captain, Captain america sort of way. Like, all of a sudden he's chiseled. Right, right. And everybody starts taking notice. That was the interesting thing about how they presented this one, too, is because he's already 
you know, for all intent, not that he's jacked, but like he's, he's got a six pack. He's I in mean, good shape. Tom Holland's a dancer, so he's already, you know, it's not like they had to ask an actor to put on thirty pounds of muscle for this film, right? Um, but I like that it started there, and it wasn't like okay, bit by the spider, and it looks like you know he pulled a ripcord, and all of a sudden he's got muscles, yeah, um, and that he's already an established academic because he's on this. Deba- uh, not debate team. The decathlon. Um, the decathlon. Um, so I like that people already knew who he was in that sense. This was more about, you're right, he he kind of in, in the Tobey Maguire one starts strutting around and, you know, it gave him a boost of confidence. Whereas with Tom Holland, it was more about suppressing everything. And he wants to go unnoticed. He just wants to be invisible and, you know, he wants his crush to like him. But, like, that's that's the end of the line. And that's – there's a great foil to it, which comes in the form of Ned, who we needed for the story. And I love the guy in the chair bit. But he is so freaking annoying. Oh, no, I think he's so much fun. Oh, no. I love Ned. I mean, he's he's funny, but he's he's very funny. I, like I said, the guy in the chair thing, I think that's brilliant. Like, it, it's not even because the guy in the chair is always, like, such an unspoken thing, but I love that they, like, named it, and he, he wants the role, and then when he's got to do it, he's just terrible at it. Um, but... I just, I, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me. The way that he's, like, constantly nagging Peter Parker, like, it, just at different times throughout the day, they're sitting in class, and he's, like, tapping him, and he's nudging him, and he's asking him all of these questions. It's, you know, this kid's already got enough to deal with. He doesn't need you blowing up his spot. I agree to an extent, but I think that Ned plays a great little sidekick here because... Peter still doesn't know how to use his suit the right way. Peter still doesn't really know how to behave the right way. And there are times where he's totally in over his head. Again, it comes with that coming-of-age thing um, where he is trying to find himself as Spider-Man. And I do like that he has Ned to sort of help him and guide him when he needs it, even when it's, like, totally by happenstance. See, I don't think he's helpful at all. I I think everything that happens... He messes up. And then and then when Peter or when Spider-Man does actually get things under control, then Ned is there and he's like dragging him back to the high school reality of like, oh, I can't believe you missed the decathlon. Like you that I think that's what's bothering me most about him is and it's only dawning on me now is that he appreciates his best friend as Spider-Man when it's convenient for him because he wants to pull out Spidey as a party trick and have him make an appearance and make them look like the cool kids at the party but then when Spider-Man or when Peter actually has to man up and do something heroic then he's like oh you messed it all up and he doesn't appreciate it yeah I'll give you that um I love, I do like the chemistry between them, but I don't think anybody in this film has the chemistry that Tom Holland has with Robert Downey Jr. Oh my God. It's, like, it's almost weird to say this because this is is kind of like a way you would describe a romantic chemistry, 
But it's, it's a electric. little romance. It's electric. <laughs> it really is. You sound like the song. I know. I know. I think I think that's just a testament to RDJ, though, because we said the same thing when we reviewed Avengers about his relationship with Pepper Potts. I, I think Robert Downey Jr. is just such a talented actor. He's going to jive with anybody on screen. I mean, some better than others. But, yeah, I mean, this little, like, Peter wants it to be a bromance and Tony's, you know, he only lets certain people into his inner circle and he's keeping him at arm's length. I, I love it. From from that first awkward hug in the limo as he's dropping him off. And he's like, yeah. we're not hugging now. We're nowhere near there. Yeah. It's but, great. But the thing is, he's, he's, he's keeping him at arm's length, but he's not keeping him at arm's length. He's keeping him at arm's length because he's trying to keep him safe, but... He cares for Peter much more than he leads on because right. I think he sees a lot of himself in Peter Parker. Yes. Um, and because he lost his father early on, yes. I think that's a big part of it. Um, so they have that in common, right. And I love the delivery on it at the end because for as much as, you know, Happy's like being, being driven up a wall by this kid and he's not answering the phone calls... All of these messages are still getting to Tony. Yeah. And then he comes and he saves him in the 11th. And the reveal is great because you think it's the... Um, the robot. The Avatar yeah. uh, Iron Man and he flips the mask up and there he is. Yeah. Um, but every every scene that they have together is just so believable. I yeah. love I love that Tony is just like... He's like, no, we got this. Don't worry about it. And, and it's like Peter becomes more awkward... When Tony's around, because he's trying so hard to impress him. That's where you start to see, like, the bumbling, nerdy Peter Parker come out. And I I also love that Tony's got, like, this weird flirtation with Aunt May, even though he's with Pepper. It's funny. Yeah. And apparently, uh, if if from what I understand, based on the trailers, you're going to start seeing this now with Happy. Which, by the way... I am so happy we got Happy Hogan in this film yeah. because he sort of disappeared for a little while in some of the later Iron Man movies, certainly in a lot of the Avenger movies. So I was glad to see that he came back and that he's sort of playing this like in-betweener between yes. Tony and Peter and it's just like he doesn't want to be bothered with it. No, it's pretty great. But Disney loves some John Favreau. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that has to do with them giving him a little bit more uh, FaceTime. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the comedy in this film is timed perfectly, which they've been able to do in most of these Marvel movies. It's never... It, but it, it toes the line. It's still an action film, and it's funny without being a comedy this could have this could have fallen into being a comedy very easily yeah. and and it didn't the the comedy really comes in moments of comic relief like how peter's pinning notes everywhere when he does when he makes a save yeah and like nobody's paying attention to him or um i think the funniest bits come from after the training wheels protocol comes off yes and he's able to interact with his suit, and he's got the voice in his head, like a Jarvis, yeah. or a Veronica, Karen. or whatever you want to call her. Yeah, Karen. this time it's Karen. But he calls her Suit Lady until he names her. And that I, I love that 
even even though he's locked in a warehouse and it's just him and the voice, I think that's one of the funniest scenes is he's trying to figure out the suit and they're just like running through all the protocols. Yeah. And what do we want to go into instant kill and then the eyes turn yes. red? What is her obsession with instant every time she needs to put it into a mode, it's always instant kill. Almost every scene between him and Tony is funny. Almost every scene between him and Happy is funny. Yeah. Um, when, what's her name, Zendaya? Mm-hmm. When she comes in as MJ, like, she just pops up out of nowhere. Constantly. But has these little funny one-liners. Yeah. She's fantastic. I just don't like... That's the one ch- change that they made that I'm I'm not fully on board with, but it kind of... It worked. They made it work. I don't like that MJ took the back seat in this one. And I don't like that there wasn't, like, that budding romance between them. But I do feel like that is something of the Spider-Man of yore, where... Part of him coming to grips with becoming Spider-Man is, if I do this, it puts her in danger. That's, again, something I didn't really need to see again. But I I did kind of miss him having that relationship. And especially because I wanted to see more of of Mary Jane in this one because I liked what Zendaya was doing with her. Yeah. Well, I guess we're going to see more of her in Far From Home. Um, but you also, I mean, for what they did with the story, you kind of needed it because he has a different crush and that plays into the whole thing. Honestly, when I found out that Liz's father was Tombs, it, at first it seemed really contrived to me, but it added so many more layers to the story. It really ended up working. Yeah. Um, the scene where, um, Toombs and Peter are talking to each other and Toombs pulls that gun out of the glove box and he's talking to him and he gives him the old, I'll kill everybody you love speech. And he goes, now go, I want you to get out of this car, go inside and show my daughter a good time. Just not too good. That entire exchange is so awkward and uncomfortable in every right way possible. Right, because it's scary dad conversation, and then, yeah, your your life is actually being threatened. So I think that that's a compliment to the screenwriting, certainly is a compliment to Michael Keaton, because Keaton carries that entire scene. Oh, you love Keaton, you're slightly biased. No, no, he no, does. Keaton it's carries good. It's that a entire scene. scene. It's good. Let's talk about the cast, unless there's anything else you want to add about the script or screenwriting that we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, just the, um, one of the other more funny moments, and I, I had kind of forgotten about it, uh, when Keaton uncovers uh, on the plane all the Avengers stash of all their backups, like how it's all Iron Man's rings and how many shields and, you know, the whole, basically everything that you would ever need at the Avengers headquarters. Um, I just thought that was a really, a a funny Easter egg. Okay. Um, yeah. We were talking about, you know, the humor in this movie. Yeah, it was one of those things. He just like picks up the mask and throws it over his shoulder or whatever it was. Right. Right. It's a lighter scene. Yeah. Um, all right, so moving on here, I mentioned before that I thought that they finally got Spider-Man right, and I think that they got 
I think they got the character right. I think they developed him the right way. But I also think that they finally cast him perfectly. Toby was great. Garfield, not so much. But Tom Holland is the perfect Spider-Man. Yeah, he's extremely likable. He's very, very funny. I like that they picked somebody that's kind of middle ground. Like, he's an attractive kid, but not, like, too... Like, that's... I don't... I don't find Tobey Maguire attractive. Like, even with the Spidey suit and the muscles, like, just doesn't do it for me. He's kind of boy next door-ish. Right. And then, which does work for Peter Parker, but then you also said before that Andrew Garfield, he's a pretty good-looking dude. So this was a good middle ground of, like, you have the good-looking kid that can be the boy next door, which works really well for this version because you needed that he's not the geek and he's not the you know the cocky handsome one right he's sort of something that floats in between and the way he plays him is absolutely wonderful i think keaton was great i've said it a few times i think keaton as vulture was really good um i just i thought that i thought he carried scenes better than anybody could have carried them for that character I like the fact that it you kind of harken back to Birdman watching him in the vulture suit. Dude, I wish this was the sequel to Birdman. Like, if that's what happened after he flew off, I am more than okay with it. But I like how he's trying to be the uh, he's trying to be the cool dad. Hey, Pedro. Like, you know, he's yeah. trying. But then, like, but he switches. He he flips like a switch, and um. I just thought he was really good. And I, I kind of like the fact that we've seen him in the last five to six years sort of transition from, you know, everybody knew him as Batman, and then he did some rom-coms in the mid-'90s, and then he disappeared for a while. Um, after White Noise, the horror movie that he did, he sort of disappeared. Mm. And he's now starting to come back. He did Birdman. He was the villain in RoboCop. RoboCop he was yeah. the villain in this. And I... And then he did the founder. I just think that yeah, like he's sort of reinvented himself, and I'm happy to see him back. I know because he's so talented, but I I almost hate that I love him better as a villain because he's Beetlejuice to me. Right. He's and, always going to be Beetlejuice. Yeah. But not that, I mean, that's the thing. Beetlejuice kind of toes the line. You don't always trust him. Beetlejuice, yeah, it's... Beetlejuice is kind of what you need him to be when you need him to be something. But at the end of the day, Beetlejuice sort of is a villain. Yeah. It, he's... And that's the thing. Yes, he's a villain in this movie, but he's doing it for his family. He's he's really good of, of towing that line of, you know, just being unreliable because you don't know which way he's going to swing. Right. Um, we talked about Marissa Tomei. I think she's phenomenal. Yeah, she's great. The I, and I'm I'm glad that they went with her because I think she kind of gives it that like adorkable quality because she doesn't know how good looking she is and why everybody's hitting on her. Like if they had gone with somebody like a like a I think Charlize Theron might be a little bit too young, but like if they had gone with like a Cameron Diaz, I don't know that Cameron Diaz would pull it off as well with, no. with the quirkiness. No, Marissa Tomei 
she has the chops to do that. Yeah, I don't like that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm trying to think of somebody like in that age range that that would have fit and Diane I, Lane I just, maybe, but she's already done the DC thing. Yeah. And she might actually even I hate to say it, she might be a little too old. And it's not meant to sound like an insult. No, because she's still gorgeous. She looks amazing, but I, yeah, I mean, I See, that's that's where they would have made a mistake if they cast her because in Superman, she's the grieving mother and I don't think that she would have played it the way that Marissa Tomei was, that she does it as I'm trying my best here. I think Diane Lane would have tipped it too much towards Grieving Widow and then set Aunt May back as that like older character that we were talking about before. Right. The point in case is that I think Marissa Tomei was perfect. perfect. I think we both agree with that. Um, and Zendaya. I do like that sort of sarcastic, I'm over this attitude that she brings MJ. An interesting choice that they don't make MJ the most popular girl in school, the girl that's totally out of Peter's league, that they're sort of, they're in that same social hierarchy. See, that was one thing I actually didn't like about this whole movie, and we didn't really talk about it, is this whole decathlon thing. Because Liz is the one who's quote-unquote out of his league, but, like, they're running in the same social circle. Liz is the most popular girl, but she's also an academic. And then what really throws me is that you've got, what the heck is his name? The bully. The guy Flash. Who, Flash, yes, who constantly is calling him Penis Parker in this movie. And I'm like... How are you his teammate who's supposed to support him? I mean, I get maybe you're jealous of him, but, like, he's bullying him. Yeah. I, I don't get that whole dynamic. I know Fresh Bronzino. This was not Fresh Bronzino. <laughs> when he gets that car stolen from him, it's... And, and, he, and he immediately runs over those bicycles. That's, that's a victory for me. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's it. It served the purpose of the story in that you had to get them all on the school trip somehow. But that could have been any club, any class. I think that's like my one issue with this movie is that I just, that's unrealistic to me. That, you know, and forget that it's decathlon. I'm I'm not saying like you should all be a bunch of, you know, outsiders who found each other in this club. You know, this isn't like a... It, it's not Glee or or Sister Act or something like that. Mm-hmm. You're pulling from all different social circles and they're in this club, but usually, you know, my high school experience was even if you weren't part of the same clique, whatever club you were in, like, you backed each other up. Yeah. You weren't necessarily friends outside of the club, but you're not trash talking them. You're not, you know, I mean, this kid's DJing Liz's party, which another point where it falls apart. You're on the decathlon team. He got into the invited to the party the day of. As like a last minute like, "Oh, we're having this party. I should probably invite you." And they have to go to school the next day. Who throws a party in the middle of the week? Right. I mean, Okay, this is homecoming, so it's kind of like, I guess, like an end of summer, we're getting back to school, you know. Yeah, part, but if you're going to somebody's house for a party, it's a Friday night, it's a Saturday night. Right, yeah, no, that, that, was, that was kind of a misstep on their part. But yeah, the, the whole dynamic 
I didn't really like. Okay. Um, and just for the sake of getting them up together in the Washington Monument, eh, we can do better than that, Marvel. Mm. All right, so I guess final synopsis here. Is this the best Spider-Man film? Probably. I think the first Spidey film with Maguire... I kind of look at that one and this one as a 1A, 1B because mm. I think I think that the Maguire film, in spite of some of its warts, gave a good backstory, gave a good villain, had a good cast, was a fun Spider-Man movie to watch. I think they cast a good Spider-Man for the time. And, you know, it's just... you You sort of... You sort of don't appreciate that film because of how bad the franchise got, specifically when you hit the third movie. It was a great benchmark, and they squandered it. Right. This movie, I think, hits on... I, I think it checks basically all the boxes. And I think that because it has so much going for it that they got right, that I sort of put this one at the top. It, it, to me, it's like a 1A, 1B. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I think Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man stands out because the only other superhero movies they were making at the time really were X-Men. So, yeah, because Batman was on hold. Right. This was, like, the first of its kind. Um, and I think that's why I still do look at that one in high regard. I, I liked... Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man until he started crying. Then forget it. But um, it actually, I liked it so much it really took me a while to come around to this one. Um, and I like it more and more every time I watch it. It's not that I ever disliked it, but it was such a departure from the building blocks that they laid originally. Mm -hmm. um, this is a whole different character and it took me a while to wrap my mind around it. Now that we've seen through Endgame, this is perfect for the role that it plays in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Um, so, news this week. Um, Quite it, a bit. There was a lot, a lot has happened in the last... Well, we're two weeks out, thanks to Groot. <laughs> yeah. But, but, I mean, even in the last, even in the last 24 hours, a lot yeah. has happened. The Much Mulan trailer dropped out of nowhere. Out of nowhere for 2020. I mean, like, we're in between Toy Story and Spider-Man right now. Then Lion King is coming out. And, oh, look, Disney has another trailer. Yeah. Um, it looks good. I, I, I think it looks sick. Mulan is not one of my favorite Disney films. And I have watched it recently to give it another chance. Um, we'll give it its full treatment, certainly by next March when, when the reboot comes out or when the live action remake comes out. So I, I'm not as excited about it as most people are, but it looks good. I think it looks good. I always liked Mulan, but I think it's one of those underrated movies. I think this is going to push it to the forefront. I think it looks really, really good. And I think that, um, just in, in... Today's society and the world that we're living in now, I think it's very timely, and I'm excited to see what they do with it. Yes. Um, we got casting for the live-action um, Little Mermaid reboot. Um, Haley Bailey, or Hall Hallie Bailey, 
I believe is her name, Halle Bailey. Yes, because every time I have tried, it's, it's coming out Halle Berry. Yeah, Halle Bailey has been cast as Ariel. Um, I don't know much about her. I don't um, either. So I don't, I don't really carry much of an opinion on it. I mean, look, if she can act and if she's got a good voice. I mean, we had said on our first episode when we reviewed Little Mermaid, I thought Anna Kendrick was the slam dunk casting. Um, I still think that she is maybe a bit too old for the part. Halle Bailey looks more like she'd be 15, 16 years old. Yeah, there was also a really strong case for Zendaya to be Ariel, which I would have loved to see, but I'm guessing because she's wrapped up in Spider-Man, she probably can't do it anymore. Right. Um, so I'm sort of holding, I'm holding my judgment on that until I get to know a little bit more about this actress. I would have taken the time to research her a little bit more, but... There's a tree on our house. There's a tree on our house, and we're recording <laughs> on, on a... On a handheld recording device in my parents' dining room. So, admittedly, not a priority uh, for me. And then uh, some sad news today that sort of shocked everybody. Yeah, I learned that, um, and and this is one we're definitely going to have to get around to, is reviewing The Descendants. I've I've seen Descendants before, and I think it's so cool, but um, Cameron Boyce passed away at the age of 20, um, I believe it was due to a pre-existing medical condition. And he had a seizure, had a seizure passed sleep. away in his yeah. sleep. And he also played he also played um, Adam Sandler's son, son in Grown Ups, yeah. mm-hmm. which is where I know him from. Yeah, um, yeah. so, you know, un- unfortunate news there. And, and, you know, thoughts are out with the family and, and the friends of, of him. But, uh, you know, just a lot, a lot has happened in the last few days. Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining us here. Um, We appreciate you guys sticking with us through this one. Again, apologies for the sound quality. Um, I mean, I don't think it's bad. It's just not, it's not our standard. And we're hoping that sooner rather than later, we will be back at home in our studio, giving you monorail radios that are more in tune with the quality that we believe in, the quality that we want to give you, but we also didn't want to go another week without giving you a show. You know, it's our goal to give you guys a show every week. And up until this point, we've been going for almost a year now. We've been we've able to accomplish a that. Darn good job, despite conflicting missed. work schedules and everything else that's been thrown at us. Although this does make a strong case for banking some episodes like we've talked about. Yeah, we might want to. <laughs> um, if you are looking to plan a Disney vacation, Lord knows I am. Please get in touch with me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. I will plan your trip right along with ours, because we need some magic right now. That's right. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have we a, are Groot. Yeah, we are Groot. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of. <laughs>